the funniest thing to me is to complete all of that. And you could really appreciate this with uh, your knowledge of production to watch it, watch an audience react to it and go, exactly. my God, that part's not working. I have to cut it. I have to cut that animation that I didn't, that I worked so hard on. <laughs> You're listening to Art Heroes Podcast, the show to help you thrive as a digital artist. Tune in to learn how to transform your passion into a career. Get inspired by other kick-ass 2D and 3D artists and find out what it takes to be an art hero. I am a CG artist and motion designer, and I've been working in this industry in various capacities on um, mostly TV commercials, but some video game cinematics and a few film music videos over the past 20 years. Um, if I count some of my teenage years, I think it's 25 years because um, I got my first um, 3D internship in high school in 1999 at a studio that did like virtual studio replacement sets and stuff in the back. So I guess technically, yeah, I've been at this for about 25 years and uh, I've had the good fortune to work on some really cool projects. Like some of my highlights was being a CG lead on a, um, a Nike project where we made photorealistic sneakers for the Nike website at the studio Hush Studios for uh, the ad agency RGA. And it was Nike's front page and we built these um, interactive sneakers. Um, I was a creature rigging lead on this Cartoon Network uh, Fusion Fall uh, MMO, where uh, I did all the rigging for all the creatures in this video game cinematic. And uh, let's see, um, I was modeling lead on um, the HBO feature presentation refresh in uh, 2017. And uh, I that was really cool for me because I grew up a kid in the 80s watching that HBO intro where you're kind of like swooping in through the city that was kind of made in stop motion and they were creating it in photoreal CG and they called me in at Imaginary Forces to uh, 3D model and texture the city from scratch, you know? So I was on that wow. with uh, a junior mo two junior modelers helping me and that was really cool. So that's kind of me in a nutshell for my commercial side and on um, my personal work side, uh, I am an indie filmmaker and I uh, um, created this um, short film, Alpha Fish, that I directed and acted in and animated. And I worked on it from 10 year, for 10 years, between 2008 to 2018. And I finally got it into film festivals in 2018. We got it into a, about a dozen film festivals and we won Best Animation at the Trenton Film Festival and the Myrtle Beach Film Festival. Are you currently working for a studio full-time or are you freelancing? What's your current setup professionally? I'm permalance with uh, HBO's design and production department uh, where we work on uh, animations for social media and uh, large-scale billboard advertisements. And so there's just this explosion of content on HBO Max and everything comes through that department. And we've got a small team of animators that animates every poster for every piece of content on HBO. Like my favorite type of workflow is when they're pitching the poster and mm -hmm. sometimes they'll come up to me and they'll ask me to do CG for like a, an element that's going to be high resolution print, you know? So one of my favorites um, was this one class action park, right? And it was this documentary about a crazy water park in New Jersey. And, you know, we'll pitch like the team will pitch like 20 different designs and I was really happy to collaborate with the designers there and to win that design. And so that's in 3D and I created that in, in Maya and Substance Designer. And then 
it'll come back to my team, the animation team. And once the key art is approved, uh, we'll be creating like a, a nine by 16 vertical for Instagram. And then we'll be creating um, all of these um, like outdoor advertising and yeah, each like, campaign varies. Like, yeah, like additional assets for the same project. Yeah. What kind of things did you have to learn to get to where you are, to do what you're doing? Like to, ever, to, ever, to all the folks that are trying to get into the industry, like yeah. what do you have to learn to be you? <laughs> okay. Well, um, my main tools are Maya and After Effects. And I think that I'm an interesting kind of generalist because I have to I have to do both 3D and 2D. So I think that when I went to School of Visual Arts uh, 1999 to 2003, we started learning um, traditional graphic design programs like Photoshop and Illustrator, moved on to editing programs like Premiere and After Effects. And then we went into 3D and we started learning Maya learning Maya was similar and I kind of stuck with Maya for um, most of my career and I expanded to include Cinema 4D within there also. And I think that uh, it's kind of a broad, I, I, I worked very hard to do what I feel is a true generalist. And I think that um, that takes time. It takes a lot of time. So you have to start with something that resonates with you within these disciplines and kind of like work on everything. Like if you were a video game camera, your character, your raising each of your statistics like little by yeah. little and I've raised them slowly over 20 years. I even went back and learned photography and more design and such. And uh, but I would say if you're starting off and you want to be a CG artist, uh, you want to you know focus on a specialty. For me, my specialty was model and I wanted to be able to 3D model anything that I could think of. And that's kind of really important to me to kind of integrate with everything else because if you, later when you had a rig and you learn how to light and you learn how to texture everything you need to make sure that model's really clean wow okay and so what are the what are the other people in your team is everybody uh, a generalist like yourself or do you have do you work with more specialists like uh, uh, from people that work on the same type of project when you're kind of more in the motion design world uh, you have a, a folks that are more design emphasis, right? And like when uh, you work with uh, designers who work with stills, you know, that collaborate with motion designers that work mostly in After Effects and Photoshop and might dabble in Cinema 4D. And I would say on my team, um, I'm kind of like half motion, half CG, you know, yeah. and then there, there are folks who do that. So I would say that I have like a couple of partners who also do like equal amounts of motion design and CG, and that's unique. And I think that, that we occupy a unique role on our team, which is really great. Actually, you know, like, I think you're the first person that I'm speaking to who's working with Cinema 4D. Can you talk to me a little bit about it? Like what grabbed your attention and uh, like, uh, where do you think is the future of it? I think a lot of my artists are really hesitant to learn Cinema 4D. And I, I understand, because it kind of is like, you're learning a different language to speak, you know, like a lot of the principles and things that you want to do are the same. And what I found is that there are certain things that happen way easier in one program or the other. And it's good to know and to have both in your arsenal. I think that Cinema 4D is really important to learn for most um, CG artists because it gives you more places to work at. You know, when you say that you can do Cinema 4D as well as you do Maya, you can open yourself to so many different kinds of other projects as well. And I found it to be really important, especially, you know, to go into the motion design world, which I found is very lucrative and very busy. 
And you know, there, there are ebbs and flows in freelance. So I would say that sometimes in Maya, you're in this um, like VFX, photoreal kind of production mindset. Let's talk about the, uh, the indie movie production and how you got into it. What actually, you know, like where the whole idea came from? Is it you alone or is it like more people? Uh, because 10 years to work on one project. I mean, yeah. honestly, that's, that's huge. That's huge. <laughs> So yeah, what was the whole beginning? I guess I always loved acting. I always loved performing like in school clubs and like drama club and theater, like the high school musical and things. And I always wanted a way to kind of connect my career to this passion of acting and writing. In college, I joined an Asian American theater troupe called Peeling the Banana. And we would get together every Sunday and put together community theater. And we uh, would, workshop, we would write our stories, and we would start with a theme and kind of talk about issues that we thought of in our own lives. So we called this uh, plots that were departures from autobiography. And I found that to be so therapeutic, you know, and at the time when I was growing up in the 1980s and 1990s, I didn't feel like Asian American representation was very good in Hollywood. You know, like I saw- Yeah, even now. Yeah, I, I will say I've seen a lot of improvements today. You know, like I'm, I'm, okay. I'm very well, I'm amazed. Sure I was not watching it to the, you know, to the extent you were watching it in '90s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I talk, think about popular network shows in America right now, like, um, and I would just end up with Fresh Off the Boat, or um, Dr. Ken, or, um, you know, Kim's Convenience on Netflix. Those shows didn't exist when I was a teenager. And, you know, I think like for me who, you know, I had this hobby that I wanted to act like it was important for me to learn how to tell my own stories. And I wanted to combine it with my skills as an animator and a CG artist. And when I finally found my footing in my industry, I said, okay, I, I, I love movies like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'm going to write this story about me talking with a CG animated character that I want to do this on my own. And over the years, I actually collaborated with about 40 people to finish this project. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you go and work in the field, like there is a lot of um, hierarchy. Like you are a specialist, even if you're generalist, okay, this is the part of the project to work on. So I saw this as an opportunity, a long, long-term opportunity to learn everything I may not be getting when I'm working on my commercial projects. So I want a chance to direct. I want a chance to to get a photoreal talking character on a live action plate and to talk with it. So I saw this as like a long-term learning opportunity for me. So I started and I wrote the story, I made a script and then I created the character and it took me a couple of years to create that character. It was really difficult to make this goldfish and to, to sculpt them, to make all the blend shapes, to get them to talk and to come up with a dynamic rigging system for his tail. Uh, I spent a few years on that, and when I was ready, when he can, he, when he could make a sentence, and I did this all in my free time, I pitched it to a live action, uh, like network of people, and the first person I connected with was a director of photography, and he loved the goldfish, and I said, hey, I want to shoot the story about him, and it's going to take me a long time because I'm doing this on my free time, but uh, I need a live action crew. How do I do this? And I made him at an indie film networking event, and. After that, you rec you need about twenty people on set to shoot this, and I really? uh, saved up. Yeah, I saved like, up like simultaneously twenty people on set to shoot this. Yes, okay. yes, 
absolutely because you're you got the director you have an assistant director because the director is on camera i'm, I'm acting right you have the, the dp who's directing the camera when and you have like people who adjust the lights, the gaffers and the um the assistant cinematographers who are adjusting the focal uh length on this red camera which was this 4k revolutionary camera that came out and then you have the script supervisors making sure that you're saying all the lines right and everything it was great it was such a wonderful learning experience for me to to get that and i felt that it really improved my commercial work because then after i shot my film i was able to go on set and work as a vfx supervisor and i did that on a, on a commercial yeah how crazy so okay um i get that it took you several years to build the character that yeah. is clear how long did you did it actually take you to shoot the part that where you needed like a lot of people was it done uh -huh. like in one go or so i had one year to prepare <laughs> and then yeah and then we shot it at like and my family home x has arrived <laughs> yeah and we did a um we did a test shoot the week before so we worked out everything right there's so much preparation for photography you know just to know what's going to happen with the lighting and everything and then we had three shooting days we had two indoors one during the daytime one during the nighttime we'll simulate at nighttime with the, all the curtains drawn and then we had an outdoor shoot at um a friend of a friend's koi pond Yes. So three shooting days and in three shooting days, like, did you get everything right? Because it's like so much pressure, like one year preparing test days. Like, um, did you have something that was missing by the end? That's an interesting story. I would say that we got all the live action that we needed. And once I was done with it, I got some help and I was like, you know, I don't think the ending is quite right. And just thankfully I got to animate the ending. <laughs> Okay, so like yeah. you actually you tricked it a little bit. I did. I did trick okay. it with my with my professional skills. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't it amazing? You know, like how you know, like the whole concept probably also helped to mm -hmm. like help change that. Mm -hmm. How crazy! Uh, would not yeah. expect that. And then like post production, so which also mm -hmm. probably took a long time. Well, I spent about a year editing it. Now, this is ten minutes. So then. I literally had two terabytes of footage that was 4K and raw. And I had to edit it. I had to sync the sound on my own. I had my friend color correct it. And once I had an edit that I could work with, I used each live action plate and I shot on a lot of stationary plates because I didn't want to track them. And I had to integrate the character. And I worked with four character animators to, uh, to animate 10 minutes worth of animation with uh, the live action and the goldfish. I think my character animation improved a lot during that time. And I also learned how to give animation direction, you know, to animators that I was collaborating with. And the funniest thing to me is to complete all of that. And you could really appreciate this with uh, your knowledge of production to watch it, watch an audience react to it and go, exactly. my God, that part's not working. I have to cut it. I have to cut that animation that I didn't, that I worked so hard on. <laughs> So I think I cut it down from 10 minutes to seven minutes. I thought that was very unique. You know, I had a very unique opportunity. So, but I think it made it better and that's how it got into film festivals. So if I remember correctly, the current running time of the movie now is about seven or eight minutes. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to cut about two minutes out and oh that was God. painful. I'm sure it was so painful, <laughs> man. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine. So, um, can you talk to me a little bit about the budget of the movie? Because sure. I mean, it's impossible, I'm sure, to budget your time. 
I mean, mm. like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that I estimate about over, over 10 years, you know, I probably put in somewhere between about like, like 15,000 into it, you know, with like the camera rental, the live action and everything that was required of the live action was the hugest expense, you know, because of my connections amongst the post-production community, we could work together and collaborate because I would say, Hey, I'm going to help you with your projects. I'm going to help you with this. Let's, let's trade favors. But to work with the live action community, I worked on a, on a lower budget, but you know, um, we, we negotiated that and that, that wasn't something that I could get costs as low as, you know, the world I came from in the, in the CG production world. Yeah. So I think that, um, I got a great deal. I rented a, uh, Red X camera from a, a young cinematographer who said he purchased it in lieu of going to film school. This was Steven Franchick. And he said, if you rent my camera, I just want to work on your movie. And I said, <laughs> sure, you can come in and you can work on it as the, the DIT. And that sounds great. And I, and I, I love that world. I love the indie filmmaking world. It's just this kind of like a real, like, team mentality and this community and such. So it was really nice to connect over there. It reminded me of, uh, you know, when I was doing community theater when I was younger. Uh, did you end up making any money with the movie? Oh my God, no, no, not at all. I think that this was like something I had for to me. ask because I'm sure there are people in the audience that are wondering <laughs> if you became a millionaire after making seven minutes. Uh, you know, I think where I made a lot of money was everything I learned that I could apply to my commercial work. You know, because I think that afterwards I was able to integrate CG with live action really well. I understood the whole production process. And I would say that my CG work professionally improved exponentially from doing this. And to me, that increased my pay scale and everything as a CG artist. And I thought mm -hmm. that that was super important. So I consider it my own do-it-yourself, like film school, grad school. <laughs> I loved going to the festivals and watching it on the big screen and hearing people react and talking on panels and doing interviews. I that was a huge reward for me because I'm a ham. I love, <laughs> I absolutely love talking. I'm love talking with you right now. And, you know, oftentimes when I'm in the office, I'm just quiet and I'm just, you know, working on my animations, talking a little bit with my friends. And there's this big part of me that's very gregarious. And I got to, you know, feel that. And it was just lovely bringing my wife out to like a film fest, having, you know, just kind of, kind of hanging out over there. I, I loved it so much. It was so cool. So what do you think is like the biggest benefit, except like learning all this and being able to show it like of, of the, the whole process, because still like, I'm just thinking of it, man, 10 years of a project, like, yeah. and, and how come you even push to the end? Like what kept you motivated for 10 years? <laughs> That's what I can't like really fathom. Yeah. Well, I remember when I was a kid, I was really interested in filmmaking when I, even as young as I was six years old. And I remember making like videos in middle school and I just in high school and I just loved it. I loved it so much. And I as I grew to be an adult, I understood the whole process. I said, oh, wow, not everybody gets to direct and make their own film. That's so hard. And it was just like my lifelong passion to make one that was just mine and that I owned and that, you know, I gave my best shot. And I think that over the 10 years, like as I aged, like, you know, from being in my mid twenties to my mid thirties, it was funny to look back and go, wow, I mean, I'm 40 now. I'm not that guy that started this film anymore. That's not a story I would write today. And it was like this time capsule almost to watch, kind of like to even see the footage that I shot. I'm sure and just it is. I'm sure yeah. it is. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, I don't, I don't look like that anymore. And this is really interesting. And I just found that so fascinating. You know, I just kind of 
I, I, it was really important to me to finish it, even though I knew the enormity of what, what I had taken on. Would you do another one? Well, as a parent now, I think that it's going to be a while, you know, because I think that pre-parenthood, I had, you know, this time to network and to work on it, to put extra hours into it. And that was an interesting uh, change in my life. I said, wow, I'm working full time during the day and I could do this indie film before as a parent. But now I have these two wonderful little children that, that, that need like a thousand percent of me. And I said, this is OK. I got it done one time. Like maybe when they're teenagers, I can do this again. What do you think in general about um, the community, the indie filmmaker community? I feel like I was kind of introduced to this, this river, this, this flow of you know people who follow their passions. So I think that I understand now that if you know a couple of people and you work in it, you can re-enter it you know when when you want to. But it's really important to manage those relationships. You know to to really go back and, you know, because like so many people did like, you know, they, the way they brought together the crew was built on the strength of their relationships. You know, I think when you're working in CG production world, you know, when you have a producer, it's not the same as a producer in a live action world because a producer in the live action world is getting this army of indie film people together for this passion project based on the, their reputation, their, the trust and that I think transcends so many things that that trust you have in each other. And I think that for something of that scale, I, I found that to be profound. How easy is it to get involved in um, in the community like that? I do think that now I see there's a lot of learning resources for indie, independent filmmakers. Yes. And, you know, I see these amazing fan videos people come up with. And, you know, there's there's a real there's a real magic to this do-it-yourself kind of, you don't even need the VFX that we specialize in to, to make these things. You know, if you learn yeah. the craft, the storytelling, and even if you live somewhere far flung, you still have a smartphone. You know, there have been like feature film smart shot on yes. smartphone. And I think that, you know, so much of what I've read is about doing it and, and doing it yourself is to do it, just do it. And you're going to learn. So if you have a small scale story that you might tell with your imagination and you go on a Facebook group and you start talking and you, and you try to network and find people that live in your community that also have this passion, uh, that, that's always going to exist. That spirit's going to always exist. And I encourage people to do that, that if you have a story that you want to tell and you just want to shoot it on your smartphone to start off with, then, then do it. I mean, there's, you know, there's no more this barrier of entry of needing a film camera where you need to develop everything and, and, you know, to have special equipment to edit it. I mean, you could just edit it on your home computer. And I think that's amazing. And I think that that makes things really possible. And you'd be surprised how many people might live locally to you that are, that are passionate about this. So do you think there is a correlation or not even, uh, I'd say like any connection in between uh, indie filmmaking and mainstream filmmaking? Like, do you think, it's possible to bridge your career from one to another, or that's not the goal at all. I certainly thought of this when I started, you know, and I didn't realize to be pragmatic and absolutely realistic how saturated the market was. And then when you go to filmfreeway.com and you see the list, there are literally 10,000 film festivals around the world. You cannot apply to all of them at $100 each. There is, you have to pick and choose and think about it 
And that took me a year to kind of go through that and look at it and go, wow, this is really saturated. I thought I spent a lot of money, but I could look at this film and I know this film has like a $200,000 budget, just has a million dollar budget. I cannot compete. I need to network with these film festival programmers and get to know them. And I had to send out 10, 20 emails a day for a year. And why film festivals are so important? If you reach that level where somebody like Netflix or a network wants to broadcast it, you've learned how to, everything you need legally to submit it to that level, you know? And you, yeah. that I think that some people, when they make a YouTube video, they might you know, put in things that aren't necessarily like kosher with copyright and, and such. And, you know, like there, mm -hmm. it kind of, it prepares your mindset for something larger to go through that process, I feel. And it connects to the pre-production because everybody you collaborate with legally, you need to get um, contracts with, you know, to collaborate with all of them. Because if you sell it to Netflix or Amazon, they require that everybody on your crew has signed all these contracts. I'm really curious also what type of, indie projects do you work on now if you do like what do you do now with your free time after bedtime when i get those rare nights uh, maybe one or two <laughs> nights a week where everybody goes to bed on time i um uh, i've been working on two things i've been working on um cg comic books right and on nfts and i am really excited about nfts and I see them as a great marketing opportunity for work I was going to do anyway. We have uh, my first big NFT project. I'm collaborating with my friend Gerald Soto, who's an animation director at the post-production studio Brand New School. And he and I have worked together over the years. And uh, we were really excited about this marketplace foundation that Gerald uh, is on right now. And I, I reached out to Gerald and I said, oh, wow, I'm really excited about NFTs because um, I made a few and I just hashtagged it and I just connected with all these people you know, like you, <laughs> you know, and I, I just said, wow, this is really interesting. And, you know, I don't even mind it, whether it sells or not. I just like connecting with people. Let's make something cool because your design is fantastic. And I, and uh, I feel like I'm an excellent CG artist. And he came back to me and he gave me um, these design boards. He's a big fan. He's a martial arts fan. And he, he really loved this Japanese luchador and he had this tiger mask. So he created this like fan art of the tiger mask and it was, it was gorgeous. He just drew this beautiful drawing with all these great lines and everything. And then I took it into CG and I sculpted it from scratch and I had to kind of prep it to know that it was gonna animate later. So I um, built it in Maya and then over a couple of weeks, like I would put in a few nights a week for, for the last couple of months. And then uh, I created um, all these painted textures and substance painter. And now I'm up to the fur. And uh, I'm hoping that when this is done, you know, we could drop it. And I just will be really, really happy to, to show it to friends. So, you know, uh, you yeah. guys could share the work in progress, which I'm, I'm pretty happy with how it's going. I think it's really, I think it's really interesting. So one question here, if yeah. NFTs uh, haven't yet gone public, if they didn't mm -hmm. exist, what would be your second option? Well, I was, pretty focused on my CG comic before I was uh, working on the NFT. And I still, I think I'm going to loop them in together. I wrote a script, uh, you know, with the story about these robots that look like toy robots. And I'm a big comic book fan. So I, I thought that I could apply my skills and tell a story and that I could do it kind of at my own pace, like kind of working solo because uh, I'm a dad now. And, you know, I got like, I got to be real flexible with that. And yet yeah. I still have this desire to tell stories. So 
when I get to a certain point with my comic book, I will make NFTs out of the images of these characters and such. What do you think is the primary requirement for success with NFTs? Do you think it really like it is about the art or is it like also luck, audience, connections, promotion? One of my friends who sold um, some of his NFTs explained that he would go on Twitter and Clubhouse and really connect with the collectors and really get into their heads. And so when I talked to my friends in fine arts, it reminded them of how they connect with buyers in the fine art world as well. I think that there are some artists that already had a following, right, that sold their NFTs immediately, but that was baked in. If you're starting, I feel like I'm kind of starting from scratch, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I have to build that following. I need to connect with the collectors and understand who they are and what they want. And I think that that's very similar to the fine art world. You have yeah, to I think understand is, yeah. the market. Yeah. So there are all these factors of luck and um, following and such, but I, I think that you're going to drive yourself less crazy if you connect the NFTs to something you're already passionate about so that yeah. you don't mind if it doesn't sell. You're going to make it yes, anyway. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just really about not driving yourself insane Yeah. about stuff that you love anyway. Yep. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just kind of a, it, it's not going, it's not going the good direction. And I'm sure that for yeah. some people, it can be definitely a source of, you know, like the kind of a stress, uh, probably even unnecessary, because if you're, yes. you know, like if you're working and you're paid for what you do anyway, mm -hmm. so why overburden your psychic? I absolutely a thousand percent agree. I think you touched on a really good note there. I've noticed on social media, I was like, wow, this is inspiring some strong emotions in people, whether it's positive or negative. And I, I, I don't, I don't want people to feel that way. I really no. don't. I think I want you to feel happy for when your friends sell. That's amazing. And if you don't sell, you should have been happy anyway, making it. This is amazing. This is amazing. Roger, we've got a little tradition at the mm -hmm. podcast. And before we wrap up, I'm going to run you through a quick questionnaire. There's like 10 questions. Mm -hmm. uh, you're allowed to answer with like one sentence. Sure. Ready? I'm ready. Are you ready? Okay, awesome. So what's your number one tip for combating distractions when working from home? Schedule free time. Oh my God, shocker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, schedule okay. it. Okay, amazing. Um, what's your favorite tradition or holiday? Halloween. My wife and I love Halloween. Do you dress so up? Our kids. Oh yeah, we love dressing up. We just love the, the TV and movies and uh, wow. just everything, all the artifice with it. Yeah. I love that. What's your favorite way to get in some exercise? Oh, we got a Peloton right before pandemic <laughs> happened. So <laughs> that's been a lifesaver. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, what's your most used emoji? Oh, it's that shocked cat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, his yeah, eyes yeah, are big. Yeah, yeah I, I find okay. so much. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your source of inspiration? Let's see. I love a good story, you know, whether it's from film or comic books or like novel or, you know, even a news article. I, I love a story that's cathartic. Yeah. Okay. That's relatable. That's very relatable. Mm -hmm. um, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? I would say when it comes to your profession, that sometimes the harshest critiques are the most helpful ones because you're in this market where people are buying things that are creative 
So I almost feel that like I value sometimes the the strictest critique, you know, because it's better to come from a, a trusted friend or someone rather than a manager or the silence of the customer <laughs> or people who won't yes, watch it. Or the silence of people who watch that. Yes, definitely yeah. better. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. How do you celebrate little victories? I like to take a day off for self-care, you know, where uh, I will do some yoga, I'll cook myself something healthy, spend some time with my wife and watch some <laughs> Netflix and, you know, just to try to like go out. I think that, uh, you know, and have a celebratory meal, you know, or yeah. something. But then I, I feel like when I have a victory, I've usually invested so much of like my time and sacrifice and sleep to get there that I need to care for myself after that small victory. Yes. Well, that sounds not like a small victory. That sounds like, you know, like a proper victory, but I can, <laughs> I can, I, I can imagine what you mean. Yes. Yeah. Um, then uh, if you could see one movie again for the first time, which one would you watch? Ooh, La Bamba. La Bamba. La Bamba. Okay. I love that movie. And it just hits me so hard. It's such a good story. I love the music. And I think I watched it when I was in kindergarten and I was just like, whoa, that yeah. just was a, as a crazy intense cool ride. I haven't seen it in ages. Good idea. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and finally, what's your backup career? Zoologist. Zoologist. I love animals. Yeah. I love okay. animals. And I, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I had considered Uh, going into studying biology and the study of animals. Yeah. Amazing. Roger, this is it. Thank you so much. It's been Maria, thank amazing. you for having like, me. Like, seriously, I really appreciate you sharing all this because oh, I think yeah. I learned about indie filmmaking as much as uh, I could have learned from like, you know, like uh, hours and hours of like just research. I think years. Seriously, it's just been very insightful. Thank you so much for like Maria, you're the best. For Thanks me. for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks for listening to Art Heroes Podcast. Check out www.artheroes.co for show notes, more interviews, and free tools made for you by our team of mentors. Tune in next week for more inspiration and keep up the great work, hero.